0: Welcome to the GovCom's podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you once again for joining me, and thanks once again to the feedback that we've been receiving recently about the program and how much people enjoy it. In fact, I was at a presentation the other day here in Canberra, and after the presentation, someone came up to me and they said, Really love the podcast and that's as much as it really needs to be. If people uh, do see us around and about or they'd like to drop us a line or they'd like to suggest some future guests, just drop us a line at info at contentgroup.com.au because we would love to hear your suggestions and your feedback. Joining me today is Josie King, who is part of the Content Group team. Now, I'll leave Josie to tell you her history in just a moment and how she found her way here to Canberra. But before we get started, Josie and I are hosting a webinar, a free webinar on the 21st of November at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And what it's about is getting your content right for 2019. The steps that we feel that you need to take to make sure that you future-proof your content for 2019. So that is going to be a fascinating conversation where we go through the steps that we will we would go through at Content Group to make sure that your content is relevant, your content is powerful, your, your content is uh, impactful, um, so as that you are making a difference with the effort and energy that you are putting into your content creation efforts, which are now standard practice in most government and public sector organisations. So that's the free webinar, twenty first of November at 12pm. Getting your content right for 2019. And that's brought to you with our partners at The Mandarin. So to today's podcast, Josie joins me in the studio now. But Josie, um, you have an interesting background, an eclectic background. How is it that you got into the game of communications? And how, in fact, did you find your way to Canberra?
1: That's a really good question. So um, I started my career about nine, almost 10 years ago, and I started at a social media company or what was then known as word of mouth marketing. Um, and of course, we know that social media is like a word, word of mouth, but in a digital space. Uh, so I was really lucky to really start my career at the the start of when social media platforms were essentially being um, used for marketing purposes. So I was a community manager and ran branded communities for um, well, some of the earliest branded communities for... Clients like Nokia, like BlackBerry. Um, And and through that role, I really kind of found a love and passion for helping um, brands tell stories and really engaging communities. Um, Since then, you know, I've worked at creative agencies. My last agency was uh, Bardo Bogle Hegarty, which is uh, basically a creative agency based out in the UK. And I spent the last 10 years essentially working in uh, Singapore, across Southeast Asia, um, some global accounts. And I found my way to Canberra because my husband's Australian. So um, I thought, what better way to kind of move away from busy city life and come into a really beautiful space as Canberra. Um, And of course, Content Group was the agency I needed to, I sought after because you guys are playing in the space that I'm really passionate about.
0: So Josie, that transition then from the private sector to the
1: public sector, how's that been for you? Uh, it's actually been a, I, I would have to say that the transition hasn't been always smooth. I think in the first three months, it was definitely a bit of a learning curve moving from the private sector into the public sector, particularly from this aspect of stakeholder engagement. Um, in the private sector, you see decision making typically made by a single person, a head of marketing, for example. And of course, in the public sector, you have multiple stakeholders that you kind of have to engage at, at uh, various levels and at various times as well. Um, having to get used to the feedback loops as well, the cycles of when things needed to be approved. So very much, I think operationally, I kind of had to. I had to learn a little bit more about how to manage. Um, I guess private sector. Uh, sorry, public sector clients. Mm. But in terms
0: of actually doing the work, has have you found that it's quite similar the way that you've gone about trying to break down the challenges and come up with the solutions?
1: I, th- I think my experience in Southeast Asia has really come in handy with for, for regards to, say, content creation. You do find the same level of risk aversion in creating content um, with Southeast Asian clients as you do with uh, government sector clients. Um, I tend to find that in Australia, it is a lot easier to work more collaboratively, um, largely because, obviously, there is uh, a different sort of approach to working here There is to in Southeast Asia. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that,
0: that, that's an interesting segue because one of the things um, I wanted to talk to you about is this notion of of creativity and imagination in the development of stories and, and content. You developed a, a presentation which um, has garnered quite a bit of attention here in Canberra. People have not only come up and spoken to you after you made the presentation at the conference, but then subsequently there have been presentations to other organisations who are really interested in trying to understand where is that line and how can they bring... Uh, emotion and engagement and uh, imagination and creativity into their storytelling into an environment that perhaps may be seen as traditionally risk averse and not wanting to to get too far into that storytelling emotional engagement approach so so maybe um maybe just go back to i suppose if to the beginning of the idea that you had around that presentation what What was it, and why did you think it was important?
1: So, um, based recently, I gave a presentation um, on social media and where I saw the future of social media for uh, the public sector. And the topic that I spoke about was entertainment and how I saw the future of social media being within the space of entertainment because entertainment essentially provides an avenue to cut through this very rational, very logical space that the government and public service announcements are typically in. Um, so I, the main reason why I wanted to talk about entertainment was that entertainment, of course, is one of the most traditional forms of storytelling. It's kind of the television that you watch is the films that you kind of um, that you fantasize around um, and what I thought was a really interesting way to take cues from how Hollywood are- essentially are captivating audiences So, essentially apply that similar thinking into the way we want to captivate, we want to create awareness, we want to create race salience for specific messages in government. Mm. So break that
0: down. How how can you do that? And I think there are probably quite a few examples already of where governments have used entertainment or government entities have used entertainment uh, in order to tell a story. You know, for example, the police forces around Australia uh, and around the world, you know, of you know, particularly around Facebook communities, they're they're very entertaining.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing that's going to be the most important with regards to playing in this entertainment space is really having brand permission. So, like, you know, quick shout out to like Queensland Police because they're doing a great job, essentially um, engaging the communities, and they've essentially built a reputation for being authentic, genuine. And they're doing a great job at essentially engaging this younger generation of audiences. Um, So having brand permission is important because if you're not, you're going to end up with a disaster because, you know, you might be perceived as an older, a little bit more serious conservative department, for example. And if you try to put just a funny, jokey video out there, people are going to take it the right way because they've never seen you play in that space ever.
0: Yeah. So it's consistency, really. It's, it's having the permission, but then it's being consistent with your, your brand voice and your brand tone.
1: For sure. It's kind of building a reputation and doing it consistently over time. So in terms of that, how,
0: there's, there is this sort of ongoing challenge around attention now, isn't there? That we, What we're trying to do is to actually earn a share of a person's most valuable asset, which is their time and their attention, at a time when they have almost infinite choice as to where they do apply. That time and the attention. So how can government and public sector organisations be better at earning um, the right to a, a share of someone's time and attention?
1: Well, I think the first thing that I want to kind of address around attention is that I don't think attention necessarily is going down. There is this myth around social media content and how people think that social media content needs to be five seconds or three seconds. Um, but I think it's a little bit of a situation where kind of the dog is chasing its own tail because as platforms and as this myth around the fact that we have no attention, what it essentially is doing is, is driving content creators, it's driving us as brands and organizations to create these short content that then people watch and consume. And of course, because it's only three seconds, they will spend three seconds in your content. Another reason why I think that the low attention span myth is dead is because if you look at anyone's Netflix history, you'll see for sure that people are still spending time watching hours of content. So for me, the trick, or at least my advice to capturing um, attention is to make sure that your content is relevant and it's engaging. People need to feel a reason why they should tune into you so you need to provide a captivating reason why so is it a benefit is it a value is it entertainment um finding that space to play in is very important and how do you go about finding that that space in in a
0: world that is now so narrow you know people can choose the education the information and the entertainment that they bring to themselves through you know the devices that they own whether they're a, it's a mobile phone or it's a, a, an ipad or a Uh, a desktop device or they could choose to attend an event in person or whatever it is but they they, people are now in control so this notion of relevance how, how how do you find that relevance how do you get to know and understand people in such a way that you will be able to to get that attention that you're looking for
1: I think knowing your audience is very important, and it's not just saying, you know, obviously just looking at research, because your audience is a number. I think I've seen so many marketing briefs and communication briefs where audiences are whittled down to a age group and a demographic and just a gender. Your audiences are more nuanced than that. Your audiences are your family, your friends. Get to know who they are. Go to the streets. Speak to people. Go onto forums. Um, one of the things that I encourage my clients to do essentially is to paint an audience per persona of them and create multiple personas, give them a name, give them a photo, give them a backstory. Are they married? Um, what are their attitudes? Um, what are the specific values they have in life? What makes them happy? What makes them sad? And then use these very human characteristics of your audience to essentially create content that's relevant to them, that reaches to them because it's it's human.
0: Mm. And then well, moving back through that, though, once you do have that persona in place, it's that link between the persona and the entertainment to create the, uh, the engagement and, and, and the reaction. How then do you step through that process to go from I have a clear understanding of the audience to here's the solution that's going to really move them in the direction that I need them to move in order that I can achieve my, my objective.
1: So there's, I think there's three kind of spaces, with three things that you need to think about, which is going back again to your identity and your brand, your organizational identity. What's What do you have permission in? And then you find out what's relevant uh, for your audience. What are the types of content they consume? What do they enjoy? Is it humor? What type of humor? Because, you know, funny isn't generically funny. It's mm. sarcastic. It's kind of dad jokes. Yes. And then, of course, you want to find the right channels in time of day to essentially engage them with? When is, it, when, are they most per, when is it going to be the most persuasive for you to engage with them? So you're kind of trying to find a sweet spot between these three spaces.
0: So if we've got those pieces of the puzzle right, uh, the channel selection is really uh, you know, an interesting one, isn't it? Because if trying to find that right place, that right time, um, through the right channel, so and it could be an offline channel, it could be a, a, an event of some sort, it could be uh, advertising, it could be public relations, it also it all depends on what um, the purpose of your communication is. could be social, could be other things. How do you then go about understanding the distribution and, and the, the various distribution mixes uh, that you need to apply in order for you to achieve you know, your outcome? Again, driving back to this whole idea that we only do this because we want to achieve a business objective of some sort.
1: Yeah, so obviously one of the first things you need to be doing is to go to where your audience or audiences are at. Um, I always encourage clients to think about a mix of own platforms, so pl- websites, physical spaces, databases that they can leverage off. Um, so their own platforms are going to be very important to essentially kicking or launching this. Uh, your campaign or your content and of course this earned aspect if your content is entertaining enough it's funny if it's going to um, if there's an aspect of word of mouth and of course you want to be trying to see that with the press trying to get pickup so you've seen so many articles online about how a specific video has over 15 million views it's because it's being seated with the press nothing happens accidentally um, and of course paid media is really important as well um, particularly because we now live in a time where um, you know We Facebook platforms, uh, sorry, social media platforms are essentially a pay to play environment where if you just post it, nobody's going to come to you. So you have to get out there and you have to reach new audiences. Um, I think... In my personal experience, when it comes to launching a campaign, um, it's really important to start with paid advertising because you will need that little lift. You will need that additional reach in order for you to get notice and for essentially the traction and I hate using the word, but virality to essentially kick in. And and some of it can be planned. You can have a very you can have a media strategy um, that is completely p- planned. Um, but there are aspects that you need to consider, particularly if you play in the social media space, which which is what happens when something in uh, the news is making headlines instead of your piece of content. So I once launched a campaign um, and it ran great for two days. We got a fair amount of views and on the third day, MH340, the plane went missing and essentially it just killed our entire campaign because nobody wanted to talk about our funny video even though it was a great video because there were more important things happening in the world. So I definitely with the distribution strategy you need to plan for success and definitely plan for failure. Mm-hmm. And the failure um, or oh, our backup plan was essentially to have a robust paid media strategy so that while there were additional, um, you know, while there was this noise in the news feed, um, there were still aspects of a campaign that could cut through.
0: Mm. That's interesting. This notion of context and understanding context, that that's a, a, a big event piece of... Uh, you know, impact on, on the context. But how would you normally look to assess the, the context of a, of a campaign and take advantage of, you know, different, you know, peaks and troughs in, inside a, a contextual cycle?
1: Um, so with regards to context, what you typically want to do is you want to play, you want to essentially have a media plan that looks at specific things that could potentially happen. So there are best days for us to launch campaigns, um, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays are supposed to be the peak days for actually launching video content. Um, you know, if you're launching something that's recruitment specific, Mondays are a good day because that's when everyone apparently starts looking for jobs according to LinkedIn. Um, so in terms of how you plan, that's you want to have essentially a calendar in mind and planning against that.
0: Mm. So what are you seeing at the moment that are the you know going back and circling back to this idea of of entertainment what what are the things that are, are working at the moment that you see that you think th- this is a nice idea that more people should be looking at
1: uh, so i think a great uh, piece of content that I've seen recently essentially is the campaign that the New Zealand Water Safety Commission essentially launched and it was called this. it's called the Swim Reaper and what I understand of this brief is that this is a brief specifically targeted to males young males in New Zealand during summer times because uh, there is this culture of uh, drinking and then going to the beach or doing kind of sea related activities water related activities which is resulting in injuries and occasionally death um, what the New Zealand Water Commission essentially did was they took a really tongue-in-cheek approach um, to at, at this, uh, you know, shocking statistic, um, and they created a character called the Swim Reaper. And the Swim Reaper is, of course, a play on the word the Grim Reaper. Um, and they, they created this character, this persona, um, the Instagram page for it, a couple of YouTube videos um, that basically brought to life this. Uh, grim Reaper that essentially loiter around beaches and water holes um, out to essentially get live. So it's very humorous. It's a lot of kind of black humor. And I think that, uh, I believe the Instagram account has amassed over half a million fans um, and it's gotten kind of global attention. And it, for me, it said one thing of the organization that they were unafraid um, of using humor. They are unafraid of being relevant and reaching out to their audiences. It would be very easy to hear a campaign, of, hear of a campaign like that and think, oh, that's too morbid. No one's going to go with it. But they understood their audience. They understood that, you know, 22-year-old kind of Kiwi males kind of really enjoy poking fun at things. They are sarcastic. <laughs> they have a sense of humour and they weren't afraid to show it. yeah um, And I thought it was a really successful campaign from them. They didn't have to plaster their, um, you know, their logo everywhere, but the message really cut through in a humorous way.
0: Mm. So if you're trying to build that confidence where senior executives will back back an idea, what are some of the things that you do to to try to upsell and, and, and build confidence and help people to understand that by taking risks they can make uh, headway?
1: I think... Firstly, um, an element of evidence is going to be quite important. So look at case studies of what has worked, you know, not just within your um, country, but look outside, look at kind of global case studies. So the Singapore government does some really interesting work around emotional entertainment content as well. So look at, see what's out there and see what works, look, show results for it. Um, the other thing that I w- can think about as well is to bring the um, some kind of senior executives along on the creative process. So they understand the value of this. And of course, also starting small. That's, you can always start small. You don't necessarily need a $5 million budget for a, you know, for a big campaign.
0: Hmm. So what were some of the things that the, the Singapore government did in this space that, that impressed you? Uh,
1: the Health Promotion Board in Singapore um, ran a series of really impressive campaigns that were targeted essentially at kind of older Singaporeans and these older Singaporeans didn't speak any English or they speak, maybe they weren't as fluent in English and most of them spoke their own dialects and there are over, you know, 10 or 15 different kind of Mandarin, um, local dialects that they might speak. So they really had a challenge kind of reaching out to kind of an older demographic, particularly when they wanted to educate them on things like awareness around say dementia or, um, any sort of kind of, uh, uh, illnesses, related illnesses. Um, So what they did was they knew one thing about their audience. They knew their audience loved watching television, particularly soap operas. So what they essentially did was they build a series of campaigns or Using a soap opera kind of style of entertainment to educate these older seniors. And it really worked. It struck a chord with them. Because again, it was speaking to the style that they were used to and familiar with.
0: Yeah, right. OK. But it's, 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 it seems to me then that you're suggesting that if, that really a government story, oh, and, and when we're talking about them now, like the, the New Zealand example, that's a, that's a government agency speaking to an audience about behavior. Um, Singapore again, different cohort, but same sort of thing. But both times, using entertainment um, to to tell a story. So, are you suggesting that this is the path forward for government communication? That it must enter into this space and move away from the more, you know, st- statistical, rational focus to a more entertainment focused.
1: Um, well, I wouldn't say that you should move all of your comms into the emotional space. I think there is a, a role for very logic-driven comms. I think what I think is uh, where I see the opportunity is really playing with a mix of both. So there is a space. There will always be a space for posters that just give you kind of three tips. But there's also a space of telling a, a more emotional story, of connecting with your audience, of building your brand and um, and. and yeah, connecting with your audience in that specific space.
0: Now, these are skills not necessarily uh, – not strong skills in government communication agencies, So, uh, government agencies and departments. So how then should they go about acquiring these particular skills so as that they can tell these types of stories?
1: Definitely bring the outside in. And what I mean for this is not, you know, not literally, but obviously having people at different perspectives um, engage with you, collaborate with you um, with regards to creating entertaining content. Who, who understands entertainment the best, but people who are actors, people who are in the music industry, people who are filmmakers. Um, but one thing to obviously watch out for is that these people entertainment might not understand how to work with, organizations, governments, et cetera. So I think that's where agencies play a really important role. I see agencies as a sharp buzz because they understand how to work with policies, they understand how to communicate in the government space, but they also understand how to link cr- true creatives and, and bring them along in this space and we kind of leverage off their talents.
0: Okay. So if we were just to, to summarize and, and get your sort of key takeaways um, across uh, – this realm of you know entertainment in government storytelling what what are your top key takeaways
1: Uh, A key takeaways for entertainment really is that entertainment is effective. It's not just about making people laugh. Um, Based on an IPA UK study, they saw that emotional entertainment-driven campaigns are actually two times more effective um, at driving things like brand awareness and increase in salience. Um, Entertainment is also of obviously it needs to be uh, you need to be guided along with. For entertainment, you need to have experts helping you create entertainment. It needs to be emotional. If you're not um, amping up, ramping up your emotional skill, you're not really doing entertainment right. Um, and of course, defending your creative work is going to be really important as well. In the case of the New Zealand Water Safety Commission, uh, it was clear that they defended their creativity. Um, and, and that's a really important aspect because you don't want it diluted. You don't want it, you know, you don't want it to turn into a, a situation where your your logo Slapped everywhere, and it's so corporate. The tone of voice has changed, um, so keeping it pure is is, uh, is critical. So Josie, thank you so much. Those key takeaways
0: really summed it up really well. And what I like, as I often like in content that I consume, it's it's the stories, it's the case studies, and two great examples there of government agencies being brave but being relevant to their audience the first one there the Singapore Health Agency where they created soap opera to communicate to older audiences because they knew that that's where they would be they wouldn't know that that's where they're paying attention and so that was a solution for them and that great example from New Zealand where you know the, the swim reaper, speaking to young males about not doing silly things around water after they've had too much to, to drink and doing it in a way that cut through. And looking at the numbers that they've achieved, obviously a very, very successful campaign. So fantastic insights there. Great experience from Josie. And you can just see why she brings such great value to content groups clients. Now, just a further reminder that Josie and I will be hosting a free webinar on the 20 20- 21st of November at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time and what it's all about is getting your content right for 2019. Getting your content right for 2019 and the steps that you need to make sure you take in order to future-proof your content for success or indeed give your content its best chance of success. So we'll have some clear and actionable advice that we'll be able to give to you. So on that webinar, again, 21st of November, 12 pm, getting your content right for 2019. So once again, a big thank you to Josie King to coming in to GovComs today and to you, the audience, for coming back once again to listen to us. So thank you very much. But for the moment, it's bye for now.
1: You've been listening to the
0: GovComs podcast.